When I started knitting, I didn't only think about making clothing in a different way than I had before. Um, I mean, that seems pretty, that's pretty obvious, right? You start knitting and it's because you want to make a sweater. And, you know, at the time, this was maybe five or six, eight, somewhere in there years ago, there were not a ton of patterns, even, even independent sewing patterns that were working with sweater knits. There were really not a ton up until the last few years that were designed to work with knit fabrics at all. So if you wanted, you know, a cardigan or a wrap or anything beyond a t-shirt, you know, if you really wanted like an outer garment, um, you were going to have to knit that. You weren't really sewing that. And so I was really drawn to knitting. I was drawn to the idea of making a garment that I could carry around with me. I don't think I really went into it with this concept of when you knit, you are making fabric. In fact, I know I definitely would, did not have that idea when I started knitting. I went into it with the idea that I can't, I can't put my sewing machine in my handbag and take it where I'm going, but I could potentially put knitting in a bag and take that with me. So that was the initial appeal. To, to begin knitting. And, uh, you know, I taught myself to knit years ago because my oldest child had a craft book on a car trip and she wanted to learn to knit. And that was, it was, there was one chapter in this craft book about learning to knit. And uh, she couldn't figure it out. It was all step-by-step -step photos and she was really having a hard time. And I was like, I don't know how to knit, but maybe I can follow these step-by-step -step photos enough to show you how to knit. So I figured it out enough to show her and then I kind of got into it. Um, this was years ago. I initially learned to knit when I was teaching school and was just intrigued by this idea of having this portable task where I could make a garment and all these design ideas. I had this book of different cable knitting patterns so I went from, I don't know how to knit and I'm going to learn only so that I can show it to someone else, straight to 100 cable knitting patterns. Um, there wasn't a lot of in between and that is kind of, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. In this episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast, I'm talking about knitting, kind of, but really more about how to store wool, yarn, and fabric to protect it from the little creepy crawly critters that like to ruin our hard work. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video sewing club complete with a library of 250 plus sewing videos, PDF downloads, exclusive patterns, and community to help you be fearless in your sewing. You can find us at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of Dressmakers.com. So that was the beginning of my knitting journey was this, you know, let's, let's see what happens, right? You know, jump in with both feet. And, and then I didn't do it for a really long time. And I came back to it years later and I was like, well, I know how to knit. I know how to purl. Um, I, but now I want to actually make a garment. I wasn't just into it for, 
um, for the thrill of knowing something new or for the challenge of making cables, which I'd always loved, or lace, which I also love. Now I wanted to actually make a wearable garment. And, and I made a sweater. The very first thing I did was make a sweater and it was wonderful and I loved the experience. Um, Fancy Tiger Crafts out in Denver, Colorado hosted a knit along and I bought the kit from their online shop. And I had other friends on the internet who were also knitting along at the same time. So it felt like this really community experience. Um, Lizzie House, who's a fabric designer, had never done much knitting. And I was like, we're going to make our first sweater together. And so it felt really fun to be connecting with other people and doing this thing that I'd, I'd never accomplished before, making a real garment. And I came out of it with this fantastic robin egg blue pullover that I loved, which was then attacked by moths. So when I started knitting, I realized pretty quickly that I needed to think about storing my textiles differently because of these moths. Moths are the enemy of long-term textile storage. And we learned it the hard way at our house. I had a vintage jacket. I purchased it at a secondhand store um, and three prized sweaters, not just the one that I had knitted myself, um, but two others that I adored were lost. I mean, they, they just were not fixable by the time we discovered what was going on. Textiles moths are a very specific type of moth. Of course, they love wool. And um, we also experienced in our home, this was the first time I ever had anything on Instagram go semi-viral. Um, we also had pantry moths. <sighs> ah, so gross. Um, I was completely unaware that there is a species of moth that likes to eat the glue that holds cardboard boxes together. And with, with all species of moths, it is the, um, it's the, the one stage of development that's doing all the damage. It's the larval stage that's doing all the eating. So if you see a moth fluttering around, you really aren't scared of that moth. You're scared of that moth's babies, toddlers, whatever. Um, pantry moths like the glue that holds cardboard boxes together. They like to hijack and and stow away on boxes that you bring home from the grocery store, and then they lay their eggs and the um, they grow <laughs> inside containers. Ah, oh, it's so vile. And we found them like we had, you know, jars of uh, of lentils or rice or whatever in our pantry, and we you could see them. And so I did this whole like very early on in the age of Instagram stories. I did this whole series where I had to scrub out our entire pantry three separate times, throwing food in the garbage, getting rid of every cardboard box, buying glass jars from Ikea, and just completely reimagining how we stored our food in order to ultimately defeat these pantry moths that I'd never even known existed. Textile moths, in the way that pantry moths like the glue on cardboard boxes, textile moths love wool, um, which is why for years and years and years, closets have been made of cedar, it's why old ladies have smelled of naphthalene for decades because that's the active ingredient in mothballs. Um, so I, I had sewed with wool, or more accurately, I had stashed away wool yardage. So I'd kind of collected wool for a long time. But I didn't, I mean, this is confession, like I didn't really think about storage, not specialty storage, not like this is how you store wool because most of my fabric stash is cotton. I really like rayon. I really like bamboo. Um, I, you know, I love, I love linen. None of those are an issue 
with moths, they like wool. And so, you know, fold it up, stick it on the shelf, problem solved. Um, I had some wool yardage rolled up in a basket for years and years, legitimately never thought about them, didn't give them a second thought. Um, and and I, I'm ashamed to admit this, but it is true. Probably the reason I did not think about them very hard is that I got them at um, like a liquidation closeout sale. And because I hadn't paid very much for them, I wasn't ascribing them a lot of value. And I'm not, I don't think that's healthy thinking, but that was my thinking at the time, right? So, you know, I had this whole thing in my head about cost versus value. What you pay for it is not necessarily what it's worth, you know? So I, I, I loved them. They were in a basket on display on top of a cabinet where I saw them every day, but it never occurred to me that that might not be the safest place to put them. Um, so when I knitted this whole sweater and it was devoured, I was heartbroken and started to think, wait a minute, yarn? I paid for that yarn. Uh, one of the very first yarns that I ever splurged on was from another shop, Pearl Soho. They have a wool silk mulberry merino blend. It's amazing. It feels so good. Um, I got it on like a 30% off discount, but it... If I were to look at the invoice today, I think it would probably still take my breath away. It is so expensive. It hurt to to go on to their online shop and do the math on the number of yards included in a skein of yarn and recognize exactly how many I was going to need to buy in order to make the sweater I had in mind. Um, Ten of them. And I mean, I really think they were 30 some odd dollars each. It's a big chunk of money for a sweater that you're also going to invest hours in, suddenly I'm enormously invested in thinking about how to preserve my, my precious, my precious, precious, um, because yarn became maybe more addictive to me than fabric. Is that true? Is that an overstatement? Um, I don't know if that's an overstatement or not, but, but um, I, I really love yarn. <laughs> I ended up buying a lot of it really fast. So my collection of yarn um, grew with my ambitious plans for exactly how fast I would be knitting. I think I think in my head, now that I am quote-unquote a knitter, I was going to knit as quickly as the grandma in Sylvester the Cat cartoons, who seems to like, and then, you know, like she's throwing money in the fireplace to burn it, and she knits a whole sweater in the time it takes me to convert oxygen into carbon dioxide. So um, I, I, I just I just really jumped in with both feet into into yarn town. So I really needed to come up with a way to store my textiles and I, I had to reevaluate the way in which I do that kind of across the board. I had thought up until then only about protecting my fabrics from dust. I didn't want them to get that like old clothes smell that t-shirts get if they stay at the bottom of the drawer too long and don't get worn very often. I really wanted to um, to make sure that if I found a fabulous piece of fabric or a fabulous yarn that I really loved, that it would last until I found what I wanted to sew it or knit it into. I'm currently reevaluating that philosophy and thinking instead about using what I have rather than buying something new, because quite frankly, I have a lot. 
Um, but that's all the more reason to make what I already have last in a way that makes it purposeful. Like I can, I, I'm, I'm preserving it for the time when it's, it's actually going to be used. So almost all of the yarn that I have purchased, unlike fabric, comes in its own plastic bag. Um, a lot of those are really thin, like uh, they're similar to dry cleaning bags and um, and don't seem like they've got a lot of long life in them. Um, and so I've moved up uh, to a, a heavier duty plastic bag. The idea being, if when I purchase a new piece of wool fabric, a new skein of yarn, if I place it in a thick enough plastic bag that has a zip seal and remove all the excess air, then I have prevented wool moths from getting to it to lay eggs in, that will damage it, right? And mostly your choices are between storage containers or storage bags anyway. Um, I, I do know a lot of people who use uh, storage containers. Not all of those are airtight. I have one that I use for sort of like on-deck sock knitting projects, one of those like 12 inch by 12 inch plastic locking containers that you can get at the big box stores. Um, and I do have some sock yarn in those um, because it has 20% polyester in it. And I guess I've convinced myself that means it's less likely to get eaten, which is probably not scientifically accurate. Um, but because they're not airtight, and because I had this experience with these pantry moths, and I kind of I hope I've learned my lesson, um, I don't use plastic storage containers. I use plastic bags. I do have some storage drawers in my closet where I keep bags of yarn in the storage drawers, but those bags are already they're they're already it's, the yarn's already in bags before it goes in the drawers. If that makes sense, belt and suspenders. And plus, you know, bags they take up a lot less space. You really can compress a lot of the volume out of a storage bag, so you aren't at risk of running out of space, um, which is a pro and a con, like anything else, because if you are limiting your purchases based on how much room you have, maybe you don't want to save space. Um, as an organizational tool, though, I really like using very large zip-top bags, um, two-gallon zip-top bags placing one kind of each yarn in a bag, um, or, and maybe it might be every skein I have of one color, right? Or all the skeins in that bag are one type, like I might have a bag that's nothing but sock yarn. Um, sometimes I will use it as a project bag. So I know I've got a sweater that's going to require three different colors or um, two yarns in different weights, one's like a sport weight and one's a lace weight, and they end up getting knitted as one for the particular pattern. Um, so I, I've organized them either by a specific project, one project, one bag. Sometimes I will slip the pages of the project pattern in the bag too, just to remind me, you bought this yarn for this project, here's the pattern. Um, or all every ball or skein of that particular yarn that I own will all go there together so that if I find a pattern that I really like and I want to look for some orphan yarn that might match up I know exactly how much yarn I have so there's a link if you look in the show notes for this podcast there's a link for the particular type of two gallon ziploc bag that I use um, and they've been tremendously successful for me uh, I like that I can use those because the, the dimensions, the linear dimensions of those bags are also quite generous. I can use that also for wool yardage. 
um, and store wool yardage in the same way. If I'm taking care of my wool yarn, I also want to take care of my wool fabrics. Um, I still do have quite a number of really beautiful wools. Um, we were very fortunate to travel to Scotland a few years ago, which is where my grandparents' grandparents are from. And we bought wool yardage of our clan tartan, the family plaid, and brought it back. And obviously, I treasure that pretty dearly. So I like these two-gallon zip-top bags because the, the length and width of them is adequate for me to put three, four, five, six yards of medium-weight wool in them and store it that way. Plus, then the, the yardage can stay flat and it can still go on a shelf, just like the fabric was before. Um, but it, it puts me in a position where I know I'm protecting the fabric um, without damaging it. We also, at our house, um, because we had this, this pantry moth issue and then we had these textile moths, um, we did a lot of research for tips to prevent moth infestations. Um, there is a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, we learned that you can use lavender oil to prevent pests, so we somewhat liberally employ that. Um, in every load of washed laundry for years and years and years, I used um, wool dryer balls which I still use, and with a couple of drops of lavender oil on the ball, just straight lavender essential oil. It freshens up your load. We don't use um, disposable dryer sheets at all. I don't like the idea that there's some sort of like wax-based chemical in the dryer sheets that I'm adding to the clothing that's going to be touching my skin. I don't really understand what's in there. You know, and my grandmother used to take a damp washcloth and she would put that in with her dryer load and um, with a little essential oil on it or something in, you know, or a, um, we've purchased in the past um, compostable bags of lavender flowers that you can run through the dryer. I like the wool dryer balls. Again, there's a link in the show notes for those. I like the wool dryer balls because they are, they, I mean, they last forever and you can put drops of essential oil on them. And at one point, somebody left a comment for me, maybe five, six years ago, saying to be careful with overusing lavender oil because over time she developed an allergy. We have not bumped into that. Um, we also don't have any food allergies or anything of that nature. They're just like seasonal pollen allergies in our family. So some people may be more susceptible to developing allergies over time. You might be one of them, just sort of like a caveat to you. I'd never heard that before. And um, even if you don't care about moths, I can't recommend dryer balls enough. Um, even if you only use them with your bed sheets and towels. Uh, I really, really dislike it when I put bed sheets in and they get all tangled up in one giant ball. And so you pull them back out and it's like a the load is finished, right? The cycle's done, the buzzer goes off. And you pull it out and it is this enormous like medicine ball of sheets that are all tucked inside one another and they aren't actually dry. Plus now they're kind of wrinkly. The dryer balls, these wool um, dryer balls really, really prevent that. And the lavender helps them stay fresh longer when they are on the shelf. Um, so we kept three sets of sheets. One's on the bed, one's in the wash, and one's in the cabinet. Um, and, and if I use the lavender, the ones in the cabinet stay smelling really yummy before they go on the bed. I feel the same way about bath towels. I really like them to stay fresh and fluffy for as long as I can get them to stay fresh and fluffy. Dryer balls with a little bit of lavender oil do that. And then they can go in a cabinet, like, you know, even if you aren't using a linen closet, like not everybody has 
a special linen closet. They can have like, um, you know, a shelf in their actual, you know, if you live in an apartment, you've got your towels on top of the shelf above your clothes. So maybe you're doing, I don't know, double duty that way. So for garments that can't be laundered, um, we will take a small sachet of lavender flowers, which you can get really inexpensively online, organic lavender flowers. You can um, supplement those flowers with a little bit of lavender essential oil. You tuck the sachet into a dresser drawer, or it can go on the shelves in your closet, the same way you might use you know, a piece of cedar to put into a closet that isn't a cedar closet. It helps protect your clothing. So I have them tucked on the shelves behind my sweaters um, and then in between them. I do uh, work not to let them touch the sweaters themselves and um, because I have some concern that the oil might be drawn into the wool and discolor it or leave a mark or something of that nature. So I don't let it touch the actual, I don't tuck them between the sweaters, I tuck them on the shelf with the sweaters. Same idea applies to storing fabric you can place a sachet in bins between bags of textiles and um, you know like so if you're using let's say you buy yarn and it comes in those like sort of dry cleaner weight plastic bags a moth can get through that they are very enthusiastic but if you can tuck a sachet of lavender flowers and lavender oil between those bags you can discourage them so third thing for protecting your wool fabric and wool yarn from pests don't overlook the obvious. Vacuum and dust often, right? Like, And I think a lot of us don't think about that. And maybe that is one place where our textile stash gets away from us, is that out of sight really is out of mind. And if it's covered up, if it's in a closet, if it's in a bin, if it's in a cabinet, and you're not looking at it, touching it, seeing it, thinking about it on the regs, um, you, it's very easy to see something beautiful and want to have that. It is very easy to get locked into this scarcity mentality where, you know, something is on sale, something is on clearance, something is on discount, and suddenly you have to have six yards of it. If you vacuum and dust your stash often, it keeps your collection fresh. It allows you to keep an eye peeled for any developing pests. It makes you more aware of what you already have. I mean, if you ever watched Downton Abbey, um, oh, no, no, I'm not thinking of Downton Abbey. I'm thinking of, oh, fudge. There was a murder mystery movie set in a big house like Downton Abbey that came out maybe 10 years ago. And there's a scene where... Mm, Helen Mirren is playing a, the, like the head of the household, the head maid, and she's working on the linen rotation. And I was like, linen rotation? What's a linen rotation? I don't even know. And, and it was this idea that if you didn't constantly pay attention to how often a particular tablecloth or set of bedsheets was put on the bed, laundered, hung out on the dry line, then some of them were naturally going to wear faster than others. And you weren't maximizing the efficiency of, of that particular item. Um, and I think the same concept really does apply to our fabric stash, this idea of rotating what we already have often enough that we are intensely familiar with what we have. You're not wasting time or procrastinating if you spend an afternoon getting out 
your pretty, pretty preciouses and touching them and feeling them and call, you know, like talk them and talk to me. Um, it might seem a little silly, but it is actually, a, I believe, a healthful practice that helps us prevent the greed that comes along with kind of stashing stuff and encourages us to become more curious about what we have and what it could be. But it also has a very practical application of giving us a chance to, to keep an eye out for developing dust, developing pests, potential loss, and something's been folded too long, it's got a permanent crease. You know, what can we do to make sure that we are caring for the textiles that have not yet been made into something useful? And um, when we discovered textile moths in our closet, chewing through our knits, um, they'd done some damage to sleeves and hems that we, I mean, there was just no way to repair it. But if we'd caught it sooner, maybe we could have mitigated it, right? Um, if you buy a lot of vintage items, the best advice I've ever heard for preventing an infestation in the first place is to take an item made of wool of unknown origin, put it in one of these oversized zip plastic bags, and freeze it for a week. And that will kill any eggs, any larvae, any moth activity, so that it's safe to introduce that item to your closet. The same thing applies if I discover activity on a, a textile, a piece of fabric, a skein of yarn, a garment, and want to arrest that activity before it becomes worse. I can put that in a bag, tuck it into the freezer. Um, my husband has a beautiful plaid wool tie, and it, because it's a men's necktie, the front of the tie was fine, but the skinnier end that goes in the back that nobody really notices clearly had some moth activity on it. So we took it, we tucked it in a plastic bag, we tossed it in the freezer, kind of forgot about it until one day I was looking for, I don't know, pound of ground beef, something, and found it again. It had been well over a week at that point that the tie had been in the freezer, but we felt safe reintroducing it to our closet because we knew we had mitigated any future damage. So as, as I spend weeks knitting a sweater and trying not to think about the ephemeral nature of all making, which is to say everything we make will someday be dust, right? Um, at a minimum, I want to be able to eliminate an infested item before the creatures move on to another pristine selection that I treasure. If I want the work of my hands to have a real, a long tail, a legacy, where it is valued not only by me in my lifetime, but hopefully by my children or even their grandchildren or some collector or some vintage shopper down the road, um, then it, it really is good stewardship to be looking out for opportunities to, to mitigate any damage that pests can do. So um, those are my three techniques. I store things in zip-top plastic bags. I like the two-gallon size. Um, I utilize lavender oil and lavender flowers instead of mothballs in order to discourage pests from starting their attack in the first place. And um, we vacuum and dust often. And then when we do discover any activity, we take those items and put them in the freezer for at least seven days until we know that the, the offender has been eliminated. Um, these tips apply to both fabric and yarn, which includes wool blends. So, you know, I sort of joke, like, I don't think it's scientifically accurate that my, my sock yarn, which is 20% polyester, needs less protection. I mean, I know that's not true. Just because an item isn't 100% wool doesn't mean it shouldn't be protected. 
And so Martha Stewart naturally has a list of basics for mothproofing. That is also in the show notes for this podcast episode. And should you discover any of the little ne'er-do-wells nibbling away at your favorite wolves too. Um, making stuff is more fun when you don't find holes in your fiber before you even get going. And the value of our time is honored when we take care to preserve the work of our hands. This episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. The League of Dressmakers is an online video sewing club complete with a library of 250 plus sewing videos, PDF downloads, exclusive patterns, and community to help you be fearless in your sewing. You can find us at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of Dressmakers.com. <laughs>